Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. for coming up in a couple of months, which it won't take us that long, um, but in a couple of months we would be coming up on a year of us being in our uh, evening service study on the Word of God. And uh, I've, uh, up until this point, as of last week, I've introduced 29 uh, different truths on the Word of God. Uh, Some of them have been messages all by themselves, and then uh, some of them have been messages conjoined uh, together with several of the truths. And uh, since it has been uh, many weeks uh, since we started this and many different passages and uh, many different truths that we've seen about the Word of God uh, in this study, I've had several folks uh, during that time ask me if I had a list of all of them. And uh, I do. And uh, I'm not, I gave you just the headings, all right? I didn't give you all the notes that I have. I probably have enough uh, notes uh, on those 29 things to make a small book, amen? Uh, but I gave you all the headings. And I gave you all the verses that went along uh, with the headings, all right? And uh, so that's 29 truths on the Word of God. And uh, just so you know, we are on number 29. I started that last Wednesday night, and we'll pick up some uh, tonight as well and uh, see how far the Lord lets us get. But let's open our Bibles tonight back to 2 Peter chapter number 1. And with one hand, I'll have you grab 2 Peter chapter number 1 and uh, verse number uh, 12. And then with the other hand, I want you to grab 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, uh, and then uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, number 13. And I want us to read some verses together, and uh, I want us to pick up where we left off this past Wednesday night, and uh, this has been a study, uh, and uh, we have taken our time going through different passages, and uh, I-, I said this when we got started, uh, while it may seem exhaustive, this is not an exhaustive study. Uh, this is just simply scratching the surface uh, of thoughts on a book that uh, Brother Caldwell has taught this church in the past, I believe, uh, quoting Dr. Harold Seitler, that the Word of God's an artesian whale, and uh, we've just skimmed right off the top in these uh, last uh, these last many weeks or so, uh, looking at this subject together. And outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know of a better subject that we could preach on uh, than uh, God's Word. It reveals to us God Himself. Everything I know about God, I learned from the Bible. Amen. Everything I know about salvation, I learned from the Bible. Everything I know about heaven and hell, I learned from the Bible. Amen. And uh, so this is a great uh, subject and an important study and worthy of us taking our time in it uh, in these days. Amen. Second Peter chapter number one and verse number 12. And when you find your place there, I'll invite you to stand as we honor and reverence the reading of the word of God. Do not forget that we will also be turning to first Corinthians uh, chapter number 13 and verse number 11 as well tonight. But the Bible says first, uh, excuse me, second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. So the context here is truth. He's talking to them about being established in truth, and I hope uh, you are as well. Verse 13, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, he's speaking about his body there, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Now, before we continue reading, uh, don't uh, as we look at that verse, Peter is saying, as long as I'm alive in my preaching, I'm going to remind you of things you already know. Uh, it's been stated before through the Word of God, there's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes teaches us that. So when you hear a preacher preach on the same text or the same thought, uh, don't, don't be discouraged 
discouraged by that. Amen. Peter said he if he was going to do anything before he died, it was going to keep it was to keep God's people in mind and in remembrance of the things that they need to know and much of the things they already know. Let's continue reading verse 14. Knowing that shortly I must put off um, this my tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. He was uh, Peter himself was headed to be crucified and the Lord had shown him that in the days of his earthly ministry. Verse 15. Moreover I will endeavor that she may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables uh, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received uh, from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were yet with him in the holy mount. Now, let's look at verse 19. We dealt with this some on this past Wednesday night. The Bible says, We have also, in addition to this mount of transfiguration experience that is being described, the, the account of Matthew chapter 17 where Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John in all of his second coming glory is what he's talking about. Verse 16 where he said that there was made known the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When did that happen in Peter's life? When he saw what a resurrected Christ would, or excuse me, what a returning glorified Christ would look like as he was transfigured there. Verse 19 he says, and and we have also A more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. What is this more sure word of prophecy? He continues to describe that in verse 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy, talking about the word of God, came not an old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now Look with me at 1 Corinthians in chapter number 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's look at verse number 8 for just a moment. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass, that's speaking of a mirror there, darkly. But then face to face, now I know in part, and then shall I know even as I am known. But now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. You may have a seat tonight. Let's bow for a word of prayer, and we'll get in the message that the Lord would have for us tonight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come in your presence once again as thankfully and humbly, Lord, as we know how. Thank you, Lord, for another day, another opportunity, God, that you give us to come into the house of God. Lord, what a wonderful privilege it is just to be able to gather one more time with the saints here at Beacon Baptist Church. What a joy it is to be able to be back home with your people. Thank you, Lord, for a good Sunday here. Thank you, Lord, for a good Sunday where we were preaching. But, Lord God, thank you for the privilege it is to be back. Lord, it feels like a family reunion. God, just being able to be back after being gone for just a Sunday. Lord, what a joy it is to be with your people. Help me, Lord, I pray for the next few moments in the preaching of your word. 
to be a blessing to them. Lord, I pray as I always do before preaching, I pray, God, that you would forgive me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your spirit, use me for your glory, help me to be a blessing, help me to only say the things that you'd have to be said, and help me not to say anything that you wouldn't have to be said. Put a guard over my mouth that I may only say what you would have for this service. Lord God, I pray you'd touch my mind, touch my heart, give me your leadership for these next few moments that they may uh, be everything that you would have for them to be. And Father, we'll thank you, Lord, for what you do in the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and ask all of these things. Lord, we do pray, uh, Lord, and we'd be remiss if we'd close in prayer without asking you to save one that needs to be saved, touch the backslid, and feed your people. Lord, do that work, Father, as only you can. And we'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, when we come here to Second Peter chapter number 1, I'm not going to take uh, too much time here. I do want us to uh, try to at least finish up the uh, first thought that I want us to see here. I know we got started a little bit late and had some things to do, and I don't want to keep you here uh, all night. If I can finish just a little bit of what we began last Wednesday night, I think I can count tonight as success. But let's look here at Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 just for a moment. I did mention as we read a little bit of the context here, and of course there can be uh, more that could be said and more that could be gleaned as we would take the time and go through the chapter and read it together. And uh, that's not my uh, that's not my, my plan tonight. But you can maybe do it uh, in your own time. But Peter here is talking just in uh, just a nutshell. I'll summarize between verse sixteen and verse number twenty-one. Uh, he sets up uh, this experience that he mentions happened in his life uh, during the ministry of the Lord Jesus when him when, when he as part of what they what has been called the inner circle of the Lord Jeter, Jesus Peter uh, James and John as part of those men that were uh, probably of the Lord's disciples closest to him and that the Lord had allowed to get a uh, get a special uh, introduction uh, to a side of him that even uh, the others didn't get to see Peter James and John were invited and Matthew chapter number 17 to join Jesus on what we now know as the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was there in that moment where the Bible said that Jesus was transfigured before them and they saw him in a, in a glowing form and in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a God form and not just as a man but as he would come in his second coming and here and other places in the Bible do tell us a little bit about that. And so they saw see him that way. And Peter here is mentioning this great, wonderful experience that he as, and he as a, a child of God was one of only three people on the planet that was able to have that experience. And what an experience it is. Amen. He walked and talked with Jesus and no doubt he had uh, a relationship with Jesus and that would bring uh, great uh, peace in his life and no doubt great uh, great uh, uh, stir to his heart uh, as he served Jesus in the future. Uh, could you imagine being someone that was a preacher of the gospel, was a servant of God, was a Christian, and you knew you walked with Jesus and you had seen him crucified and you had seen him raised from the dead. You had all of those experiences that Peter did. Uh, no wonder Peter wanted to serve God. No wonder uh, we find him being the Christian that he was. And we know he's not without his faults and not without his failures, but uh, he had experiences that no one had ever had. But yet Peter here said that those things did uh, speak surely and truly as to who Jesus is and to what God would have uh, for Peter's life and for the rest of our lives. Amen. But in verse number 19, he says that there is something that we can have that is uh, greater than even having such a wonderful uh, uh, spiritual, if I can put it this way, religious encounter. And you know, they, we live in a world where people have a lot to say about uh, their spiritual encounters and their religious encounters and the things that uh, they have witnessed. Amen. Uh, Peter here says, though, that we have some, he had something uh, that you and I tonight also have uh, that is greater than any experience, even the great experiences that Peter had, that he was in such a small group of people. Uh, 
gods who have experience. Here he calls uh, this a greater thing, a more sure word of prophecy. He said that it is a more sure word of prophecy that it would do us well to take heed to. And then in verse 21 and 20 or 20 and 21, he describes what it is. And the more sure word of prophecy that is greater than the surety that we may feel and think we understand from our experiences, the more sure word is the word of God. And so the 29th truth in this study that I brought before you, and it's there at the bottom page of the study guide that I gave you is the fact that when we have God's Word, and thank God tonight, we do have the Word of God. If you've got a King James Bible, you've got the Word of God. And if you have the Word of God, you have something that you can trust more than your experiences. And, you know, I mentioned some things, and I've got several more things to mention. The first thing we started talking about, if, if that is the case, and Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 is the truth of God, then what should we do with that verse? Well, what should we do? We should start trusting the Word of God uh, greater than our own experiences. Amen. And by the way, trust me, I understand. I said the Word. Amen. I was going to say, trust me, I know the Word. Trust Trust is a big word in our day. We have we have people. Uh, we have we, we've mentioned our country. We've mentioned our uh, we've mentioned our uh, our uh, political leaders. We've mentioned uh, even our so-called church leaders. At times, uh, there's so many people that we have learned at some point in time that we've put our trust in, and somewhere down the line, it has been changed. It's been altered to where we can't even trust certain people and certain institutions that we used to trust. They may we're living in a day where. Tr- True uh, trust is hard to give. It's hard uh, to extend. It's hard uh, to uh, have toward an individual or an institution. So I know that's a big word, but I'm glad tonight to know that in God's Word, we do have something that we can trust because the author of this something that we can trust is someone that we can trust tonight. We have something that we can trust over our own experiences. And I mentioned this this past Wednesday night that in the world of so-called Christendom, there are entire denominations, entire uh, groups of churches, if you will, that have built their uh, religious dogmas on experience and not on the Word of God. They have filled buildings larger than ours by promoting experience and not the Bible. And we began to uh, talk about when it comes to trusting the Word of God over our own experiences, one of the first ways we should do that is we should trust the Word of God over our own experience when it comes to our doctrinal stand, what we believe, the truths that we say are from God and that we stand on. Amen. What we believe about God and His Word and about church and about the ministry of the local church and about the ministry of reaching the world with the gospel and all of the truths that we say are contained in God's Word. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody get up and so-called preach a sermon and they're preaching things and they're saying things like, we've got to get back to the Bible and we've got to start doing this and we've got to start doing that. And what they're saying, we need to get back to the Bible and start believing it's not even in the Bible. How heartbreaking it is. And by the way, I know, and I've preached it here. I've preached just in this in this study about the Word of God. Y'all remember we talked about in the book of Acts, and we talked about the Berean believers and how they were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if the things they were hearing in church and the things they were being taught was so. You know why those kind of churches exist? It's because most believers are not, or so-called believers are not Berean type believers. They, if, well, if, if this preacher said it and he's charismatic enough or he's personal enough or he's likable enough or if he's trustworthy enough, then they'll just believe whatever he says. 
I'll say this. If you go and see it in the average church that is preaching false doctrine, and all if you're, if all that you're, if all that you need as a litmus test to believe everything that's taught hook, line, and sinker is just about personality, you'll find a whole lot of personalities that you'll be drawn to. Y'all, y'all, y'all know I've mentioned, I've mentioned this past Wednesday night about that service that I saw on Daystar with Rod Parsley and about how he had a church of thousands and he said, let's all speak in tongues at the same time. If you listen to Rod Parsley preach, he's definitely got a personality. He's a man with a personality and a half, really. And if you're looking for personality, man, man, Rod, Rod might just be the guy for you. If you're looking for somebody with a glowing personality, don't be surprised if you get hooked into Osteen's crowd. He's got a personality. He's got the best teeth and hair money can buy, probably. He's got, he's got the, the trustworthy look. But the problem is the man's a charlatan. So if we have a standard that is something apart from the Word of God, we are missing out on the true standard and the true litmus test of what God wants us to know and how we can have something in life to believe and to trust and to stand on in life. Amen. My doctrine should not just simply come from the words of a man. But the words of that man must come from the Word of God. If it is to be a doctrine I can stand on. And I am thankful that uh, the, the doctrine that we stand on here at Beacon Baptist Church, uh, we, don't, we don't have to point you back to a church father somewhere and some quote or some creed, amen, or some, or, or some meeting that took place uh, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, to say, well, so-and-so said this, and that's why we believe this, or that's why we have this tradition. No, here at Beacon Baptist Church, this is the way it is under my pastorate. It's the way it was under Dr. Caldwell's pastorate. It's the way all the men of God that preach here, uh, they, they are. Amen. If we say that this is something the Word of God teaches, we got a chapter and a verse to show you in a King James Bible as to why we believe it. Amen. So we must get to the place where as the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have our doctrinal stand because we trust in the Word of God over experiences. This past Wednesday night, the illustration that I gave about probably the most prominent uh, denomination that uh, does this very thing, that is so uh, is so out there with it and so public with it about trusting and experience over uh, the Word of God, is the charismatic and Pentecostal denomination. We talked about their sign gifts. We talked about uh, speaking in tongues a little bit. And if you remember, we talked about uh, how they depart from the Word of God when it comes to the procedure of speaking in tongues as a sign gift. And I'm just I'm using this as an example just so you can see where we are as churches and where we are in the so-called world of Christendom. Amen. That there are people. And by the way, you say, preacher, why have you taken so much time on? this one example, this one illustration, because I'm looking, at a, I'm looking at a crowd of people this evening. You've ran into these people every single week of your life. And if you've done anything like I've done over the years and have had conversation after conversation after conversation with these people and you ask them well why do you at your church speak in tongues why do you at your church why do y'all lay hands on people and they fall out on the floor <coughs> and I've been in those services I actually, I actually had a, a Pentecostal church when I was a teenager asked me to come preach in their church and I did Amen. I don't believe that's compromise. I didn't change my Bible. I didn't change my dress. Uh, amen. How I was dressed. And I, and I preached the Word of God just like I did to you. I had a crowd full of sinners. Amen. That I got to preach the gospel to. Amen. And I got to deal. I even got to hammer on these things while I was there a little bit. And they let me come and they paid me for coming. After I said all those things. Here's where the kicker was, though. They asked me to come back 
for what I was told was a gospel singing service. And at their, at their request, I came and sat down because I said, well, nobody's going to be preaching to me. I don't have to worry about that. It's just supposed to be gospel singing. I asked my questions. I figured out what kind of songs they're going to sing. And they just said, we enjoyed your preaching a couple weeks ago. And we would just like for you to attend our singing service. And so I sat down on the front row. And I sat there. And I listened to them sing for a handful of minutes. And then I started noticing back in the stage, back on the platform area, there was some fidgeting going on. And what I noticed was, is that one of the men of the church, I don't know whether this was a deacon or whether there's some church hand, I guess, uh, some lay person that did, uh, did some of the behind the scenes work. They started getting blankets out. And I started, they were fidgeting and I started fidgeting because I know what those blankets are for. They started getting things ready, and they already had their, they already had a couple of people in their church that were, had all you could tell, they had already had it rehearsed. They already knew when to come in. They had their cues ready, and a woman came up, and all of a sudden they stopped the song service that was supposed to be a gospel singing for the community to come and, and, and sing. And this lady came and said that she needed healing. And so this pastor that... I have already told them why what they're doing is wrong, both in the pulpit and privately. And he said, well, and he had his, he had his little uh, answers and everything. But after we had that conversation, now here he comes and they're doing this healing service. And he touches this lady on the forehead and she does the things that they do, you know, and fell back. And they just threw the blanket over her like she was a corpse and went on with the rest of the service. She stayed there in the floor up until the time I had enough and left. A couple of weeks later, I left. She was still on the floor when I left. A couple of weeks later, after I, I had left, well, a couple of d days later, excuse me, after I had left this meeting, the pastor called and said, why'd you leave? I said, I told you when you followed me out the door after I got up and left why I left. I told you this is unscriptural. You said we were having a gospel singing. You told me what songs you were going to sing. Y'all didn't sing the songs. And so because of you started having this, uh, this fake healing service and that woman wasn't sick when she stood up there and she wasn't, she wasn't uh, sick when she left. Well, I don't know what you're, you're just doing. You had a show and it's unscriptural and it's wrong and I'm not sitting under that. I can I, I have enough demons after me in my own life trying to destroy my life without coming to church and subjecting myself to yours. Amen. And so he had a problem with that. And so for another hour, I talked to this man who had been a Pentecostal pastor, a, a Church of God pastor, his entire, the majority of his adult life. Decades of his life, he had been a Church of God pastor. And I showed him what I'm about to show you. And the words that I heard out of this man's mouth was, I know what that says, but I know what I experienced in the church I grew up in. His entire life. He had been he had been relying on things that he saw in a church of God as a child. He, he charted the direction of his life as a church of God pastor because of something that he saw as a child in the church. And he told me after we went through several verses of scripture together and I explained it to him and I spent an hour giving him the Bible and he spent no time giving me the Bible just simply say it. I know what I experienced. I know what I saw. I know what I heard. How can, how can you be in a service like that and negate what God's doing? What I told him was, because I know what that book says. And if that book says you're not doing what you think you're doing, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that there's not things going on. I'm just saying that you can't charge God with what's going on in your so-called, your so-called house of worship. The falling, I, I know, I know, and I don't know why I'm telling you guys this, but I, I know one, one man I went to church with for uh, probably, 
probably at least six or eight years of my life. He taught Sunday school at my home church uh, for, for many, many years. And he said him and a buddy of his decided they were going to go to one of Benny Hinn's healing crusades to make fun of him. They were going to get good tickets. They were going to sit on the front row. They were going to volunteer to be healed. Going to walk in with a lamp or whatever and be volunteer to be healed. Here's what happened. Now, I know this firsthand. It was told me firsthand. He said that part where Benny Hinn takes that coat off and he said he swings it by the row of all of the people that want to be healed or want to have some kind of deliverance or whatever. He said, I was there not needing to be healed and I was there to mock him. He said when he threw that coat across us and he blew on us, he said again, I remind you, he was there not believing it and he was there to mock him. He said something knocked us to the ground and pinned us on the floor. And this, I'm talking about this is a big man. This is a man who has won arm wrestling championships and contests in the past. This is a big guy. He said, he said, he said, I was there. I didn't believe in it. I was there to mock him. But something held us to the ground. Can I say, I know that that, he said, that was real, but it wasn't of God. If the Bible says it's of God, then it is. Anything that the Bible says is not of God is not of God. No matter if a pastor of a church or denomination or a charismatic person or whoever you may attach it to. No matter what a human being says, that Bible is the more sure word of prophecy, not our experiences. We talked about the speaking in tongues a little bit last week about how they get off course when it comes to the procedure of tongues as a sign gift. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 13. We read this together just a few minutes ago, and this will probably be all I get to uh, tonight. I want to say something about the passing of tongues and the sign gifts. Last week we gave the illustration that we talked about the procedure of tongues as a sign gift. Tonight I want us to just for a minute to look at the passing of tongues and the sign gifts. Okay? And this is what that man, that, that pastor would not believe. What he would not tell me, what he would not agree to is that tongues and any, any sign of gift that the New Testament, the, the Apostle Paul was said was used for the evangelizing of the Jews. All of those sign gifts where the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. All of those things he would not resolve that they had passed away. Although, here I'm going to show you in just a couple of minutes that the Bible proves that they have passed away. That the Bible proves that tongues and the... I, I, not just Now, I know you've probably heard plenty of pastors that will say that there's not for today's time. And I've heard pl plenty of even independent Baptist pastors who have said all of these the signs, the tongues, has been in healings. That's all passed away. But very few have told you why or when they passed away. Tonight before we leave, I believe I can settle for you from the Word of God. Not only that they have passed away, but I believe I can tell you exactly when they passed away according to the Word of God. Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Let's look at verse number, verse number 8. We read this together just a minute ago. Charity never faileth. So we know God-like love, charity, biblical love, does not ever fail. But notice what will fail, what will come to an end, what will cease. Notice this, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Some, there will be some things that will be declared spiritually that will not come to pass. The second thing, and here's what I want you to see, whether there be tongues, they shall fail. Cease. The Apostle Paul, 
That in the next chapter, remember we're in chapter 13. If you remember last week, we spent just about the majority of the evening last week in chapter 14 and letting Paul tell us under the inspiration of God how the sign gift of tongues was to be handled in the day that God was using it for his purpose. But before Paul started to unfold the procedure, he said that the gift of tongues was never meant in the mind of God to last forever. He tells us clearly here in verse number 8 that these tongues, the spiritual gift of being used by God to speak unknown tongues, unknown languages, God said through Paul, they will cease one day. So, when do they cease? He goes on to talk about whether it be knowledge you shall vanish away. Here's the reason why some of these things will cease. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. That is the reason that tongues had to be used of God at some point in time in church history. What, the, what these early apostles did not have uh, at this time was what we have been talking about all of these many weeks. They did not have what you have tonight in your hand, and that is a complete copy of the Word of God. When Paul was writing 1 Corinthians, and he sent that to the church at Corinth, they might have had that letter, but they didn't have the, they didn't have the rest of what was being written in that day. It it wasn't until many years later that God allowed all of these original, uh, all of these original autographs, all of these original writings, and then the copies and copies of a copy of all of these writings to be gathered together and put in one volume and so forth. What we understand uh, in this period of time, all of God's revelation had not been completed yet. What they knew was in part. They didn't have the full revelation of God. What they understood was in part the prophecy, God's Word, had not been completed yet. Notice this, verse 10. He says, But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. He is not talking about heaven here. Remember, the context is the Word of God. That is the problem with the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. They say that, that that which is perfect, that means heaven. And so we will be speaking in tongues until we all go to heaven. That's not what this is talking about. Heaven is not in view at all in this chapter or in the next chapter in any way when it comes to these verses. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part, that's the prophecies, that's the tongues, that's the knowledge, all of those things mentioned in verse 8, those things that are in part. Notice this now, God makes this promise, they shall be done away. He's not saying it might happen. He says it's going to happen. And, and tongues was something he specifically mentioned. I believe God knew that we would have a problem with tongues in this day. And so therefore, God makes it very plain in his word. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He's talking about those, those temporary gifts. He's speaking in tongues. And I'll deal with this some on Sunday morning but, or, or in uh, Sunday morning. And soon, Paul said that, the, that, that speaking in tongues and those sign gifts were childish things to want and to desire. Verse 12, he said, for now, and here's really where we get a picture of what God was doing. For now, we see through a glass darkly. That word glass means a mirror. How many of y'all, I hope you take showers or some kind of bath. Amen. Hope you did before you came. Amen. Or at least plan to tonight before you see anybody tomorrow. How many of y'all have come out of the shower or come out of the bath and you went to look at your face in the mirror and you couldn't because that mirror was fogged up? That's what Paul is talking about here. We're looking through a mirror. We're looking 
through a glass darkly. When when, uh, when we look at the mirror, we can't see in it because it has been clouded. It has been darkened. It has, it has uh, uh, lost its uh, reflecting quality in, in, to, be clear, to be clear. He says, for though we see through a glass darkly, but notice he says, but then... When is the then that he's talking about? When that which is perfect has come. Right now, we prophesy in part, we understand in part, our view of the way things should be is clouded right now. But when that which is perfect has come, then we'll see face to face. In other words, the darkness of the mirror is going to be wiped clean and you'll get to see your face in the mirror. Most people that preach this passage, most, uh, I'm trying to figure out where I was now, my page has turned on me. Most, even most independent Baptists will tell you, and, and it may seem like I said it just a minute ago, I'm clarifying now, most independent Baptists, most Southern Baptists, most Baptists in general will say that which is perfect has come is the complete canon of the Word of God. I don't have a problem with that, but I'm going to share with you a little bit tonight as to why I don't believe that. Here's the reason why. When that which is perfect has come, in other words, the partial things will be done away with. And then he says this, we will then face to face. He says, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. When that which is perfect has come, he will show us clearly who we are in Christ. I will know how I am known. I will know how God sees me. When that which is perfect has come, I will have an understanding of how God views me in him. How I'm known by God. Now, don't let that statement, don't let that statement scare you. I promise I'm not preaching heresy. I'll show you more here in just a minute. So we see here, there is a promise that tongues are going to pass away. There is some reasons that tongues are here. There is something that God, it was in the works of doing when he gave this sign gift. But there's coming a day where God's going to clear the fog off the mirror, clean the steam off of the mirror, and let me see myself face to face as God sees me. He's going to do that. Now go with me please to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. This right here was the biggest argument that that Pentecostal pastor tried to give me for his speaking in tongues. This is also the passage of Scripture that most, uh, most, I'll say that, I'll be a little bit generous to them tonight. I would like to say all, but at least most people that say they believe in speaking in tongues and they believe sign gifts and things of that nature, this is the passage that they go to to say, like I mentioned to you last week, that unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved. Remember we mentioned that about how that's one of the things they teach. Speaking in tongues is an evidence of someone being saved. It's an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. And here's where they get that from. Look at Mark chapter 16, verse 15. We get the verse with the Great Commission. And he, Jesus said, uh, said, He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I think we'd all say amen to that. Verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be uh, uh, believeth not shall be damned. Look at verse 17. Here's a verse that every Pentecostal love, loves, and they'll take it to you. They'll take you to it every time. Notice the wording here, and let's read it slowly and carefully. Jesus said this now, so we know it's true. It's in the Bible, so we know it's true. Okay? Jesus said, and these signs shall, that's a guarantee, follow them that believe. Okay? Now notice the signs that shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. That's number one. They shall speak with new tongues. Uh, that pastor said, see, if you're saved, you'll speak in tongues. There it is in the Bible. It came from the mouth of Jesus. If you're not speaking in tongues, you're lost. The Bible goes on to say, verse 18... They shall take up serpents. 
Notice this three little le- this three letter word, and. That's key. Okay? Let's continue reading. If they drink any deadly thing, Drano, poison, whatever, whatever, amen. Brother Stan Wardlaw used to keep a bottle of Drano on his desk or some rat poison, and he used to call that his his uh, his uh, Pentecostal faith test, amen. If you want to show me uh, that you believe what you believe, don't just start speaking in tongues and making noise. Here, take this Drano and drink it down to the bottom, and let's see how long it is before we have to call an ambulance. They shall take up serpents. Some in, some, there, there are some Pentecostal denominations that still believe that, and they've had more pastors than they've had members. Why? They took up serpents and got bit by a rattlesnake and got killed. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to be an apostle? Amen. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Here's the problem. Pentecostals today. Now remember, this came from Jesus. It's in the Bible. It's true. Jesus meant exactly what he said in Mark 16 when he said it right before he ascended back to heaven. He meant every word of that and he promised it to them. Ye shall do this and ye shall do that if you're a believer. Here's the problem with it today. There is not one Pentecostal that has a problem with saying that in Jesus' name you can cast out devils. None of them have a problem with that. They do. They try to do it all the time. None of them have a problem with speaking in new tongues. They do it every service. They say you have to do it to be saved. Some of them will be, uh, in my opinion, crazy enough to take up serpents. Some of them will do that. But I don't know, and they'll, they'll even try to lay hands on the sick, and they say they'll recover. Now, I, I have seen in the day that we're living in, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of hands being laid on the sick, but very few are genuinely recovering. Most, and most if not all, of the ones that have made claims of recovering uh, is something that was set up beforehand. It was a show. It was a sleight of hand on a TV screen, and those things have been proven time and time again. But what they have a problem with is that if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. I don't know of any of them that are doing that. I don't know of any of them that's drinking Clorox with their breakfast. Remember I told you there's a word that's mentioned twice in here that is very, very important to our understanding of what Jesus said in Mark 16? Y'all remember what that word was? And. So, they're saying, well, we're going to leave this one out. The drinking of the the poison. We're going to leave that one out. Not if you're going to do what Jesus said. These signs, plural, Not this sign or that sign. These signs, plural, shall follow them that believe. And this one shall be done. And that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. The word and means when it comes to the sign gifts, it is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. We know if you study the books written by the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul had all of these. You don't believe me? Think about it. How many times have you seen where Paul healed somebody? How many times have you seen in the in the book of Acts about people being possessed with demons or Paul or one of the other apostles cast those demons out? How many times have you seen Paul even in the chapter that we looked at chapter 14 last week, Paul said that he spake with tongues more than them all. But he still said that prophecy, preaching, the Word of God, the declaration of Scriptures was to be preferred. Paul did all those things. Last chapter of the book of Acts, there was, a, there was a viper that came out of the fire and latched on Paul's hand. The Bible said he shook it off, and they were amazed at the fact that he wasn't hurt. Take up serpents, it won't hurt you. 
There's evidence after evidence after evidence that Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, had all of these things in the Scripture. Not just one or another, but all of them were active in his life. But today, the modern-day charismatic movement, and again, I'm just using this as an example of why we don't put experience over the Bible. The Bible says it's all or nothing. Now go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter number 5. Are y'all learning something tonight and God helping you with something tonight? I hope. Amen. I hope you're at least glad to be here. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Hold that verse and also grab 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. In both of these verses, we are talking about the Apostle Paul. Probably the greatest Christian to live outside, if you want to include the Lord Jesus as, a, as, as someone that at least followed the, 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 the Christian way of belief and teaching. He's God. The greatest Christian probably to ever live. Greatest servant of Jesus Christ to ever live. This is Paul speaking, and Paul is one that has had an evidence of his life of not picking and choosing the different sign gifts. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. Paul is writing to his young protege, his young preacher boy in the faith, Timothy. He says, drink no longer water, but use... He's not talking about recreational drinking, social drinking. He's talking about pres prescribing medicine here. Most of the medicines we have have alcohol in them. It's good for the stomach. Use a little wine. Why? For thy stomach's sake. And notice this. And thine often infirmities. Now, if you've studied the book of Acts, you know the apostle Paul had the ability to heal. If that's the case, why is he looking at the man, the young man that is the closest to him in his ministry? Paul called Timothy mine own son in the faith. Paul personally won Timothy to the Lord. It is, it is Paul, it, it, excuse me, it is Timothy that we've seen in our study in 1 Timothy when we were preaching in that, uh, that Paul gave the ministry to that meant the most to his heart, the city of Ephesus. This is someone he's closer to probably than any other person on the planet. If he has the ability to just touch him and he'd be completely healed. Why is he prescribing medicine? Drink no longer wine. That had infirmities or that had, that had impurities that was causing you to be sick as is in most of the places in the world today. Don't drink any water. He said, use a little wine for your stomach's sake. His stomach was in pain. His stomach needed help. And thine often infirmities. Timothy, you're not just sick now. You're sick all the time. And I'm going to prescribe you this medicine, but I'm going to give you medicine when I have the ability to heal you, when you've been sick over and over and over again, how much sense does that make? Look at 2 Timothy there in chapter 4. It was, this wasn't something that Paul just did for Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. I'm on my last verse tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. If you're there, say amen. Erastus abode at Corinth. Look at this now. But Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Trophimus was a man that was very close and was a fellow laborer of Paul in his ministry. If Paul has the ability to heal him, why did he leave him sick? There's another one of Paul's followers mentioned other, elsewhere in his letters that the Bible said that Paul had left him nigh unto death. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a spirit, this, by the way, as far as just logic is concerned, not exclude, excluding the scriptures, not even including the scriptures, as far as logic is concerned, this is one of the greatest tales to me that all, that so-called faith healing movement is a bunch of hocus pocus, is a bunch of nothing. Because, Brother Jeremy, if I had the ability to heal, 
I promise you I'd be making a journey in the morning to St. Jude Children's Hospital. I'd clear the place out, Brother Lewis. I'd go down here to Lexington Medical Center, and I'm sorry, Miss Wendy, you'd be without a job. You'd have to go work somewhere else because I'd clear it all out. If I had the ability to do that, and I had, I had un, just unlimited uh, power from God to heal the sick, and they recover, I would heal everybody. By the way, that's what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. If you were sick and you came to Jesus, and Jesus knew about it, he healed you on the spot. He healed every. He didn't turn any sick person away from him. He healed them all. Benny Hinn's not clearing out hospitals. He's charging tickets to come see him heal people. And then <clears throat> if you come to him, there's only a certain number of spots. And then if you don't make that spot and, you're, and you leave or you come forward to him and he lays hands on you and you don't get healed, you know what? He, he has an answer for that. He'd say, you didn't have enough faith to be healed. The healing in the Bible was not dependent on the faith of those coming that were sick. It, it was caused by the power of God. Here, Paul is leaving his most trusted men sick in infirmity. What does that tell us? If we know what Mark chapter 16 says, it, 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 is, it is saying... That if with tongues there's healing and all of these other sign gifts, that means by the time 1 Timothy chapter 5 came around and 2 Timothy chapter number 4 verse number 20 came around, Paul had already lost his ability to heal. The tongues shall cease. If the healing gift of Paul ceased before 1 Timothy chapter number 5, guess what also ceased? The tongues. Guess what? And by the way, you don't find any record of tongues that late in church history. You never see a genuine move of it again. Why? God did what he said he would do. The tongues had ceased. If the miracles of Paul's ministry were ceasing, then the tongues were ceasing. And the, being able to drink a deadly thing and not be harmed, that was gone. The being able to take up serpents and not be hurt, that was gone. All of the sign gifts were gone. Why? Because by the time 1 Timothy come along, it can't be. Remember I mentioned how... Remember how I mentioned how we as independent Baptists have gotten into the mindset of saying it's the completion of the Word of God, the completion of the canon of Scripture. It can't be because the miracles were done by 1 Timothy chapter 5. The Bible said when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away with. The tongues and the sign gifts are already ceasing by 1 Timothy chapter 5. Revelation hadn't been written yet. Jude hadn't been written yet. So many, uh, so many other of these late books later in the ministry of the apostles, they had not been written yet. Let me, give, let me state this, my opinion, and we'll be done. I believe we can find it in Scripture. Do you know what books of the Bible have been written by this, by this time? Books like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, where the whole subject of the book is who am I in Christ? Paul said, this is how God sees you. This is how you are in Christ. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Those books are, show me who I am in Jesus. Do you remember what, what, what uh, Paul said would happen when that which is perfect has come? That he would wipe off that dark mirror and he would let us see ourselves face to face. And we would know as we are known, we would see who we are in Christ. That which is perfect being come. It's not, it's not the completion of the scriptures, but it is that part of the scripture that we needed to know who the church is, who the Christian is in Christ. That's happened by this point. And because Galatians is here, and Ephesians is here, and Colossians is here, and Philippians is here, and God is giving us through the Word of God a very good picture of who we are in Christ, now those sign gifts can be done away.
Now Jesus doesn't have, the, the Jews don't need anymore being proved to them by way of sign gifts. They've had their miracles. They've had their time. They've had their proving. And the Word of God is now there for them to see who the child of God can be in Christ, what merits there are in accepting Christ. And that Word can be that which would propel them to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And now if you're going to get saved, you're going to come through the Word of God. You're going to have to believe what the book says. You're not going to get another sign. You're not going to get another miracle. You're not going to get another speaking in tongues uh, type movement. There's no need uh, for uh, all of those signs. All we need is the Word of God. We have an entire movement of people to where the Bible itself has declared to them without reservation that what they're believing and what they are teaching is wrong. But they're believing in experience. I've showed you the last two weeks and that one particular group of people that we'll see all over uh, the world, all over our world this week. The Bible said what they're believing, what they're standing on doctrinally, it's false. It's not of God. And you have got to know what you believe. If you're going to witness to these people, if you're going to show these people the way they need to be and what they need to believe, they will trust in their experience all the way to hell. Because if they will not believe 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 14, it will be very hard for them to believe anything else God said about anything. You've got to believe the Bible in order to be saved. You've got to be, believe in the Bible in order to grow. And that's their problem. They, can't, they, they may be genuinely saved, but they will not grow. Because their attitude is, the Bible is secondary. And what I feel and what I experience and what I think is primary. Until we get beyond that, we'll never grow in Christ. Until we get beyond that, we'll never, we'll, we'll never win a lost world to God. Until we get beyond that, we'll never truly have the victory and the things that God would have for us to have in our walk with Him. So this, talking about our doctrinal stand. We've got to elevate the Bible over experience in our doctrinal stand. I'm, I'm done tonight. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let's Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.